0: Hey, everybody, this is Jazz's digital content editor, Brian Zimmerman, here to introduce another episode of Jazz is Not What You Think. This one features Jazz's publisher, Michael Fagan, interviewing singer songwriter Paula Cole, who just released her 10th studio album, Revolution. It's a summation of her entire career to this point and is heavily jazz influenced. We're going to get into that in a minute, but first, I'd like to thank Cobuzz.com, a streaming service that offers the most comprehensive CD quality hi-fi catalog in the world, as well as the largest selection of streaming music and studio quality high-res. You can enjoy unlimited streaming of all your music from just $9.99 per month with no strings attached. Just visit on.cobuz.com slash is to learn more. All right, now let's get into the interview between Jazz's publisher, Michael Fagan, and singer-songwriter, Paula Cole.
1: Hi, this is Paula Cole, and you're listening to Jazz Is Not What You Think well hello paula hello uh
2: i've been wanting to talk to you for a long time oh. uh, i am i am a a, a big fan um well, i actually you. well well thank you um so thanks for joining us um I I, let me start by saying it's been an interesting life for you since one of your songs was selected as the theme song for Dawson's Creek. I
1: I know even rewind. There's like been lots of interesting things going on. (laughs) (laughs) No, and it's, I've definitely needed to forge my own path. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, what happened is, you know, I, I love your hit songs back in the nineties. Um, but I didn't really dig into you back then. I just kind of, I, I I knew the songs. And then one day, uh, a mutual friend of mine, uh, I, I got an advance of his album, Chris Bodie, and there you were. And, I, and I'm listening to this vocal, and it was truly the most beautiful interpretation of, I think it was, How Love Should Be, that I'd ever heard. Aww. And I said, how what I have to I must know this vocalist, and yeah, i could i couldn't I couldn't put my finger on it. and then, of course, I found out it was you. And then I started learning about your you're a jazz singer, and it all started, I guess before Berkeley. but tell me how that started before we get into the new album.
1: I'm the most unknown known jazz singer <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sure. I mean, um. I don't know where to start. I was raised in a musical home. My dad was a semi-professional musician. He was a bass player in a polka band on weekends, but they had albums out and were playing lots of gigs. He abandoned music for science to feed the family. And I was raised knowing that music was fun and it was self-made. And he taught me about groove and multi-genres, just appreciating music, bottom line, that to ignore category, ignore genre, genre that it's all music. Um, I then found myself at Berkeley College of Music towards the end of high school, studying with a teacher who was not only a singer, but he was a trumpet player and a drummer. So mm. he was having me read out of like Ted Reed's book of syncopation <laughs>
0: to
1: read drum drum patterns and to do trumpet exercises, you know, singing. And, and then... Got me on the path of improvisation. I found the real book. I taught myself standards just by leafing through, you know, A to Z in the Real Book of Standards at the time these were illegal, you know, back then. And I just self-taught. And a lot of the time I didn't even hear interpretations by other singers. So I learned to just find the music in my heart by reading off the page. And then and then later I arrived at Ella and Nat King Cole. Mm-hmm. and worshipped at their altars. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and Miles. Like Miles is such a big influence for me. Me too. Uh, yeah. I um, Just his simplicity and his leadership and his choice of bands and the collective, um, his sense of space, his own voice. I could go on and on. Oh, sure. Again, ignoring genre. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I... And, and so does Nina Simone. She ignores genre. She mixes folk music. She mixes gospel, jazz, classical, everything. Um, and, and to me, that's greatness. That's finding the music and finding your own identity regardless of genre. And I don't like these labels. The labels are for money. They're for race, categorization of demographics. It's to separate people. So I, I was a jazz singer, I suppose, in my heart. But I don't like to even use that word because it's all music and um i was my offered uh record recording labels um they you offered me contracts a couple of times now two times maybe i can't it started when i was um still a student and I got my first record deal while I was still at Berkeley, and it was much more of a jazz-affiliated label, GRP, back back in the 80s. I mean, oh,
2: sure, sure. Yeah.
1: And I I declined it, and everyone thought I was crazy, but I just felt like my music didn't want to be categorized. Uh, so I waited, and I continued waiting tables and making coffees <laughs> for tips, and and writing, and that writing landed me on a small label called Imago, which was a very left of center kind of boutique label that was shared with like Henry Rollins and Amy Mann and Basshead and these really kooky left of center artists.
0: Yeah, very talented artists.
1: Yeah, all with very unique identities. Um, You know, of course, the the hits happened and people know me for the songs rather than me. Uh, My star rose very quickly that way which was a lot to handle and I stepped away from that version of the music business. By that point, I had moved over to Warner brothers and took about eight years off from, um, uh, the music business, which was very healthy. i I prioritized my personal relationships. I, I needed that connection to reality. Again, I raised my daughter who had asthma and she needed me and I, connected more deeply with jazz mm-hmm. that's in that period of hiatus is when uh, chris bodie and his manager bobby columbia asked me to sing standards and they they loved my singing enough to keep asking me back so i was on four chris bodie albums and yeah. uh, it was just wonderful to to not be associated with the baggage of the pop music business and just sing from my heart these beautiful chestnuts these standards and reconnect to my love of that music and it was high time that i made you know blue note had offered me a deal but that wasn't right either and i i just waited until i did it you know stubbornly the way Mm -hmm. i wanted to which was more of like a guitar based rhythm section jazz album that again combined genre so i'm adding bobby gentry and bob dylan and roots music combining that with like a a very West Montgomery influenced guitar player um, mm-hmm. in a rootsy way with my version of jazz. I wanted it to be a mixture. So it just represents me and the diversity of all the greatness of all music.
2: Yeah. And, and, um, and I really enjoyed that, that album. And, but one of the things that I saw, it wasn't, I I'm assuming it wasn't a turn for you. It was just how you, reflected you in your music when you released i guess depending on what religion it's amen Amin amen, uh, yeah. amen uh,
1: <laughs>
2: oh, right I uh, amen right <laughs> right but but it was we saw a sort of a more sociopolitical side of you yes and yeah. and and that to me and I'll let you speak because i think people are interested in more what you have to say than me um that's what music i think is supposed to be about that's what it was in the 60s
1: oh man man yes yes it should be more i mean of course the personal can be universal and i've i've learned that through my like highly personal processes through autobiographical writing but but one must never forget that it's the purpose is for healing in ourselves and therefore for all, all. And if you really take this gig seriously, like my heroes do, then you will write for the betterment of all people, of all society. So mm-hmm. even even animals, even the planet, like Marvin Gaye with the ecology. So mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I, I guess I realized I had hit, some watermark with this fire and there was that beautiful kind of neo soul burgeoning consciousness happening in the in the later 90s and I was highly moved by that and by hip-hop and I needed to make a more social political spiritual statement like Marvin Gaye he he was such a hero and inspiration for me on that album and um, as he is for my next album, which I'm releasing September 13th. It's called Revolution. I've just needed to go back to that purpose of singing beyond myself, singing for consciousness, trying to raise consciousness and awareness. So I'm making my second social political album. Yeah. No, and heard. a lot of people don't like that. Sometimes it, you catch flack. And I don't think Amen was, people weren't ready for it, or it wasn't well-received um, maybe they wanted me to stay in my box, but I'm not going to stay in my box and I, I need to do it. My heart guides me to do. So yeah, I made amen. And I'm so happy that you appreciate that. Thank you. And I'm about to do it again.
2: Oh, <laughs> well, that's great. Well, I mean, you know, I, I forget who, who is the, uh, author of this quote, but uh, you know, art is the new politics. I mean, it, it's, it's
1: right. That's right. That, that's like Picasso. He said, artists are the politicians of the future and I live by that I live by it I teach it I I tell you know songwriters of the future uh, that um, you really should look inside your heart and write beyond yourself Take, take this on seriously as a mantle look at the heroes it's no coincidence that Bob Dylan and Woody Guthrie and Nina Simone and Billy Holiday and Neil Young and, you know, and on and on and on. Peter Gabriel and Marvin Gaye and Bob Marley. They, they all wrote to help all humanity.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, no doubt. And, that, you know, the, the, the other thing is, and I know a lot of people talk about the strong message that you have about women, and and, and that comes through. But I also see beyond that, something very racial, something, a unique sensitivity for people of other races than ours. Um, And where did that come from?
1: Thank you for feeling into all of this. Thank you for being a sensitive and hearing me and seeing what I do. I really sincerely appreciate you for that. Yes. I mean, I, I'm usually the only woman in my band or i've been in a very low minority starting at berkeley college of music i think the ratio around that time was about 13 to one and then welcome to the music business and i was usually the only woman in my band and crew and the peter gabriel gig was about was over 60 men and there were three other women i never saw them so i mean i'm i can very much behave like one of the guys i can hold my own and be strong Uh that way um which just reminded me of the fact that I'm a woman and it's hard, it was in my face a lot how I would bump up against walls. Uh, I think if I had been a man, I would have probably gotten a lot more production work. Um, (laughs) But I, uh, I realized that my stories, well, they come from my ancestors, my great grandmother, for instance, Charlotte, Revolution is dedicated to her because she was a brilliant pianist she was one of the first women admitted to Yale before mm. they admitted women in 1969 which is only 50 years ago they had a music school and she was admitted to that music school but she had to drop out because she got married and she was expected to be you know a homemaker and he wanted five kids she died ne- nearly died four times with each of the four childbirths she had She said no more, he divorced her, he married somebody else and had five kids with another woman and she ended up teaching piano the rest of her life. I mean, these are the stories that come through the family. Mm -hmm. I know Joni Mitchell has spoken about the same situation. Like you're not doing this just for yourself. You're doing it for your mother. I'm doing it for my mother who is a sublimated brilliant visual artist who's finally getting her dues. She's in two museums right now. um, And I helped her erect her website but, you know, that happened when she was 76. Wow. And she was a very frustrated mom. And this is just all too common. We, And so I'm singing my songs like at the gig last night. So many women come to me after the show and thank me and have tears in their eyes. It's it's very healing. We, we've we held it in for a long time. A lot of women have not had their voices. We've been silent for a long time. So it's important that I, I sing for them. It, it helps healing. It helps them realize that they're beautiful and they can do it. Um, it's certainly hard. And and yes, the more sensitive issue of race. Where does that come from? Well, maybe it's my um, just innate sensitivity as an artist starting there, but um, realizing that my heroes are African-American and mm-hmm. and they're their messages are so profound, often with such profound love that their their vision is uh, just so needed. It, again, you'll see it on revolution. I start mm-hmm. with an MLK quote, and I end with sayings from the Buddha. But uh, it starts with my profound adoration for so many of my heroes. I mean, that's true with the Ballads album as well, Coltrane and um, Billie Holiday and Nina Simone and Miles and Nat King Cole and Ella. I mean, oh my God, these are my heroes. We should have statues erected from them in every city. Yeah. But um, also like my family is is of color. I, I My daughter is biracial, my niece is biracial. I, I live it, I love it. I I wish more white people would have this experience. I wish the conversation were more prevalent amongst more white people, I I do. Uh,
2: Yeah, yeah. it's uh, a conversation that needs to be had. And I think that um, uh, my marriage is biracial. And um, what's really interesting about it is that um, I was blind to a lot of things because uh, growing up as a white kid, I never had to live under certain circumstances that, that other races do. And we would be somewhere and someone would look at us and my wife would say, did you see that? And I would say, see what? And right. she said, yeah, you, you just don't get it. That's right. And it took years for me to get it. But once I did, um, you know, again, I'm I'm in a profession of jazz where so many of my friends and colleagues are African-American. So I took a lot of it for granted, especially because I grew up in New Jersey and then I moved to South Florida. And, you know, it's they're kind of places that are more tolerant and. I just never saw things, but you bring it to people's attention without beating them over the head.
1: Oh, I hope I don't beat over the head. I appreciate that you say that. I mean, some people would probably feel I'm beating them over the head, but we, we do need to have this conversation. We, we need to have it in the uncomfortable white places. I'm, I'm at a hotel right now where I, I think I've seen one African-American guest... And most of the help is of color. And I feel so uncomfortable. I, um, I, I, I'm just kind of horrified at the white privilege. And, and yeah. it's all around. It, it's just everywhere. I, ah. Imagine if the tables were turned. Imagine how I think a lot of white people would really um, start getting it if they were in the back room washing the dishes and raising the babies and doing the hard labor and, and people of color were on the golf courses.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you know, I, I, actually, I actually have felt the tables turned a little bit and that is my wife's from Toronto. And as you may know that, uh, and, and listeners may know that, um, Toronto is, is extremely multicultural.
1: Absolutely.
2: So you'll go to a restaurant and I will be the only white guy in there.
1: Yeah.
2: And it's not only a reminder, but as odd as it sounds, I'm in there and I actually feel really good. (laughs) I I feel like, okay, so I'm the only white guy in here.
1: Okay. And I wish every white person had that experience because it, it, it helps you learn and makes you feel the sensitivity that's needed to heal society and good for you and that happened to me in nineteen eighty six. I was fresh you know out of high school, went to Berkeley College of Music, and on a lark, I auditioned for the the gospel choir hmm. and I made it, and I realized I was one of the few white people in there, and that's when. That's when my understanding and learning and my humility just skyrocketed. It was incredible. It was such a profound experience for me that I still uh, run into the gospel teacher, the director, Dennis Montgomery III, who was just a gifted, profound uh, pianist, organist, singer, teacher, and I thank him with all my heart. It was so profound to me. That's where I can say it, was, it started.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, powerful stuff. You know the, um, you know my first experience even before I I, I was married. Um, I was actually walking out of a um, a conference with Branford Marsalis. And um, he had a a, a saxophone and a case in his hand, and we were walking out. And there was a security guard, and he goes, "The security guard looked at both of us, and he goes, 'Where did where did you get that saxophone?'"
1: Oh my God! Oh.
2: And and I, I I looked at him, and I said, "No, that, that's his horn." And he said, "Can you sh- prove to me that's your horn?" Oh my God! Um, and 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 Branford looked at me, and he said, "You see?" Yeah. And and I. You know hope and pray that that's changing and i think when people have strong political socio-political messages in their music we've seen it happen before um where people do it does resonate with people and we certainly hope it will you know lead to change um but your strong messages in addition to you know you're 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 very being out very outspoken about women Um, there's a spiritual, a very spiritual side, what I gather from you that you don't necessarily put all the way out there, but, um, there's this sort of feeling that you have this strong spirituality.
1: I have existential angst. (laughs) I'm (laughs) constantly trying to find the meaning of my life. I think it's in the music. I think that's my purpose and I hope I'm using it the best way I can. Um, <sighs> I guess, I guess that's it. I don't belong to any one church or religion, even mm-hmm. paths are many and truth is one is how I see it. And, um, uh, I just want my lifetime to be of worth. I feel my mortality. I don't know why I feel it Um, so strongly, but I do. So I feel the clock ticking, like I need to do some good work. And I feel that I'm most eloquent in my music.
0: Hey, this is Brian again with just a few more words on CoBuzz. Now, you might already know that CoBuzz offers the biggest catalog of hi-fi and high-res albums in the world, both for new releases and specialized genres. But for hundreds of thousands of albums, CoBuzz also includes all the information you need to recreate the appeal of a real CD. We're talking the names of musicians, the producers, the lyrics. There's everything you need to know to appreciate your favorite albums. CoBuzz is compatible with all types of audio equipment and also provides advice on your hi-fi equipment purchases. Not only that, but every week, Cobuzz publishes interactive articles that widen your musical knowledge, and you can even download high-res files to listen to in offline mode, so you can listen to your music even when you don't have internet access. Subscriptions to Cobuzz start at just $9.99 per month. Again, visit on.cobuzz.com slash jazzes to learn more. All right, let's get back to the interview.
2: Yeah, I I was going to ask you, you know, there was, I read something about you that you talked about having to, you're kind of speeding up the productivity because time is running out. Um, You know, you're, you're in your, you're halfway there. (laughs) You're in your early, (laughs) early fifties. Hopefully we get another 50 years out out of you. Um, And, and there's a lot more to be done uh, for sure. In fact, I feel the same in in my life. I feel like, you know, the reason I I don't want to go right now, it's like, it's not that I'm afraid of dying. It's like, I have a lot more to do.
1: That's right. That's right. We are the love messengers. (laughs) We are the love
0: warriors.
1: (laughs) So there's a lot for us to do. If if we are in these relationships with a, a humble understanding of racial healing, needing to be happening and we can somehow help that mission or just the furthering of music. The furthering of music, I mean, that helps society. That that helps people find their feelings. It helps them heal and therefore be better versions of themselves out in the world. That's a safer society. It's even a more profitable society. It's just music is a profoundly mysterious, godly energy and we should always be in service to it. Uh, you know, if the times, if I, if my ego ever entered the equation, it's like life slaps me down pretty fast. <laughs> you, we, we have to be in service to it.
2: Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the new record. So I know we've touched on it a little bit, but there's there's some pretty interesting people on this album. Uh, Michelle and Cello, one of my favorites.
1: Mine too, one of my favorites too she's so visionary and interesting she's well read and unpredictable and i just adore her speaking voice Mm -hmm. it's authoritative and sexy and deep and spiritual Mm -hmm. um so she she doesn't sing she speaks like she's kind of rapping and speaking the these philosophical thoughts that she brought to the song uh, it's quite profound. Um, sure, I mean... Nona? We met at Lewis Fair, I think it was, initially. Oh, yeah? And, and forged a friendship. So we would just touch bass here and there over the years. She has often just sat in as a bass player <laughs> at some gigs. And, um, you know, maybe we'd do a Bob Marley cover or something. And um, we share a guitar player in Chris Bruce. So she's in my life a little more now that I've been playing with Chris more regularly. But yeah, yeah super honored to have her on the album.
2: Yeah. And Chris produced your record, I think. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, we co-produced. Yeah. Co-produced,
2: yeah. yeah. I knew that he was involved on the production side as well. Um, wow. That's, uh, yeah, Michelle's, you know, the the um, her first album, I, I, the title, I, I think Infantile Lullabies, was that it, the name of it?
1: Plantation uh, lullabies. plantation
2: yeah. lu- plantation lullabies. One of my favorite records of all time.
1: Yeah, those first two are like um, kind of unique in the way they sound and a little more period. And then I think it was bitter where she really started, I think, finding something different and yeah. and branching out. i I don't think she performs songs from the first two albums. Uh, she's pretty uh, stubborn about that, but that's that's what makes her a great artist. Is that she just is uh, connected to her sense of purpose, and she feels she broke away from those first two albums, and she doesn't necessarily want to return. Although there's amazing music on there, and we all love those albums. I mean, shoot, what's not to
2: love? Yeah, it's like it's like uh, Plantation Lullaby is like a classic. Uh, yes. In that in that genre, I think that was a groundbreaking album.
1: And peace beyond passion.
2: Yes, yes, um, yes,
1: yeah.
2: just brilliant. So, brilliant. some of the other um, women singer songwriters that you uh, you uh, certainly I can tell love like a Joni Mitchell. Um, when did you, for instance, listen to Joni Mitchell? Was it when you were in high school? College, and you know, heard this singer songwriter that was clearly above and beyond everything else going on at the time.
1: So, we grew up, you know, pre digitally. So, um, and I grew up at, at the tip of a peninsula, or actually, it's an island. I lived at the tip of an island on it's Cape Ann in the north shore of Massachusetts. and. There was just so little radio signal. I could barely get any FM stations. Hmm. So I basically learned music to be self-made, like through my father, as I said. And, and you know, occasional AM, I would, it took time for me to find things. I didn't find the Beatles until my 20s. I didn't find Joni Mitchell until college because... I went to the Great Watering Hole Oasis that is Berklee College of Music and then everyone starts exchanging. You start telling each other, you need to listen. Oh my God, take six, they just came out. You need to listen to that, <laughs> or, right? I mean, I would, you're just hungry and you're listening. And so I found Joni and one summer uh, while I was in college, I had a job, I had to scrape and paint a cottage. I tend to do this by myself. And I put on my Walkman and played Blue and Don Juan's Reckless Daughter (laughs) over and over and over as I scraped and painted a house. And that's when I discovered Joni Mitchell.
2: And this was, I'm assuming, cassette tape.
1: Yes, it was a cassette tape.
2: So it was the actual original Walkman. Yes, exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, last night... I've done
2: that too, by the way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and of course, it was my, you know, re- records of the the vinyl or whatever. Right, or, right. Um, but last night we had a, a gig and we started off with classics like, you know, Billie Holiday classics and I played I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel To Be Free. Mm-hmm. And then I moved into two Joni Mitchell songs because they are classics as well. We played Case of You and Woodstock, like a. Nice trippy bluesy version of Woodstock, which is now its fiftieth anniversary. Of wow! That song and that festival.
2: Yeah.
1: Summer of '69, and here we are, fifty years ago. That's if, when they first started meeting women to Yale. So crazy.
2: It 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 is crazy to think about it. You know, I, I I I know you're, and it's it's the theme of of one of my favorite songs on your new record, "Silent." Um about women not being silent. I think, I think maybe one of the, one of the ways we're going to move forward is by talking about things by not, but you know, I, I married a woman who is extremely vocal. She lets you know how it is in the nicest, most methodical way, but she is going to be heard.
1: That's so beautiful. Wow. You you're lucky and you're married to a righteous woman. And that's what I agree. That's, at least one very important piece of the healing that needs to happen. And I, like I said in the, in the music, I took on the silence. It was mandated by generations, but it doesn't work. That's, that's the cruelty of it. It doesn't serve anybody. There's no reparation. You're just sitting on hurt feelings and they're just rotting inside your subconscious. And then what do you do you expect that of the next generation no that's futile and dysfunctional and it doesn't work so yes it starts by as kindly as possible talking about it singing about it understanding it trying to heal it moving from that point
2: yeah tell Great me about science. the i was yeah. gonna say t- t- i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you i was gonna ask oh, you no. tell me the um the meaning behind saint cecilia
1: <laughs> um, so at Berkeley College of Music Around the corner there's a, a church It's St. Cecilia's Church And I came to learn she's the patron saint of music And so that's a quirky little tune But in each verse it describes a different setting mm-hmm. Of someone who is healed by music We are all trapped by our own traumas. And music is one way through this life to shine a light, a a light to our way out to healing. And so St. Cecilia just represents that healing, the bells from the church.
2: Why why do you think our brains are so... um... Uh, no pun intended. Attuned to music, uh, and, and I, I have a theory about it. But it's, you know, and I'll give you an example. <clears throat> a song will come on that you you haven't heard in years, and it may change your mood. You literally will go from whatever mood you're in when you hear that song, and it'll it'll transform you in the moment. Um, That's
1: right.
2: I, I, I don't think I'm the only one that happens to. <laughs>
1: Oh, no. It, it has these magical tiny hands that move, moves it their way the the tiny hands move their way into your hearts and they elicit empathy. Um, also, uh, reading about South Sudan and the Congo child warriors being plucked from homes, sent off to do most terrible deeds, unimaginable deeds. So they don't feel they can return to their families and, and the mothers and the families to no avail. They, they try to get their children back to them to, to allow reconnection and healing. Nothing works. And then they found music and they broadcast over radio frequencies in speakers in the forests where they knew the campouts were songs from the childhood. And guess what? <laughs> They came back home, you know, yeah. that it that it makes us feel. And it's profound. It, Oliver Sacks talks a little bit about that profundity and musical like being hit by a lightning bolt and losing other senses, but then becoming a musical prodigy. It's it's a bit inexplicable. It's a bit godly and a whole lot of mysterious. But I I... I don't know. I mean, we could get neurological and scientific about it. Yeah, it's
2: it's totally neurological. You know, I, I look at it as something happens chemically in the brain that maybe release of neurotransmitters or whatever processes are going on that we clearly have very little understanding of. Even those who understand it will admit that they don't understand it. There's that saying that if the brain was so simple you could understand it, you wouldn't be able to understand it.
1: That's right. And it elicits empathy. It changes us. It makes us feel our feelings again. We need to go about a survival mode, a left brain organizational mode in our day-to-day in order to grapple and deal with life's obligations, shutting out feelings, especially wounded feelings from our past. They remain locked in the subconscious. Music allows us to dream and it frees up a lot of matter residing at the bottom of the subconscious. It elicits tears, it elicits empathy and healing, and it changes hearts and minds. That's why it's so magnificent, profound, and uh, weighty in its responsibility. If you take on the mantle of the gig of being a musician, an artist, there's a lot attached to it that, that you ideally should embrace. And, that's, and that is spiritual. That is spiritual work.
2: Yeah. Yeah, a, a, a friend of mine, you probably know him too, Kirk Whalum. Uh, wonderful saxophonist. Um, and he's a very spiritual guy. And a lot of his shows, um, he actually gets in front of an audience and gets very spiritual and talks about things that you wouldn't expect uh, from the stage of a contemporary jazz performance. And then there there's almost like a turning point where people aren't quite sure and then they get it.
1: <laughs> wow. I don't know about him. I would love to I would
2: love yeah. to see that. Yeah, he's a he's a a very spiritual guy who um, he was Actually, he was thinking about opening a jazz club. I actually talked him out of it because I've opened two and they were nightmares. But, um, that, by, by the way, we try to book you at, at, at one of my jazz clubs years ago, and we just couldn't get the, the, uh, routing correctly. But, uh, that being said, so oh, because, wow, because Oh, sure. So, uh, so that being said, when Kirk and I were on the phone one day and he was saying, I, I have to come up with a name for my, jazz club. And I said, well, first of all, I'm going to try to talk you out of opening a jazz club, but maybe because of the way you are you should call it um, Kirk Whelms Bigger Than Jazz Club.
1: <laughs> 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 That's right. It is bigger than jazz. Yeah, It's bigger than genre. It's just so profound and beautiful. I mean, it's not for the faint of heart. It is hard to be an artist, a musician, make your living from it constantly be uprooted on the road which is a monkish existence right and that that alone will make you spiritual either it's hedonistic it's like or or Mm monkish spiritual Mm -hmm. and i've seen people go both ways but clearly the more spiritual existence is the preferred path for if you want longevity yeah it must be that way um it's and music being in the music business oh my lord (laughs) <laughs> that is, it's a very hard thing to do, so it must be about the music. It can't be about ego or money. It has to be about the music, furthering the music, healing thyself, healing and helping others.
2: Yeah, well, I think you you nailed it with Revolution. Um, it's yeah. it's a it's a beautiful project. Everyone should check it out. It is it it covers a lot of genres with a lot of messages and paula i thank you so much for joining us today
1: you're so kind and i appreciate your listening your support your sensitivity your mission thank you so much Uh, thank you
0: All right, and that'll do it for today's episode of Jazz Is Not What You Think. I'd like to take a minute now to thank this episode's sponsors. They include Smoke Sessions Records. The label has a new album out right now from NEA jazz master George Coleman. It's called The Quartet. To check it out online, visit SmokeSessionsRecords.com. Thanks also to Blue Note Records. They're currently celebrating their 80th anniversary with a bunch of cool musical initiatives. To check out everything they've got going on, visit bluenote.com. And thank you to ECM Records, which this year celebrates its 50th anniversary. They've got a new album right now from Italian trumpeter Enrico Rava and American saxophonist Joe Lovano. To learn more about that album and all the other great stuff coming out on ECM, visit ecmrecords.com. Another big thanks to the online streaming service, Deezer. We regularly curate playlists on this platform. Our latest features tracks by The Young Lions. To check it out, visit Deezer.com and search for Jazzes. Our playlists also appear on Cobuzz.com, another one of our sponsors. This is a high-res streaming service that is the premier destination for audiophiles looking to stream music online. Visit Cobuzz.com to learn more. Another thanks to jazzradio.com, featuring more than 35 channels of curated jazz music for free online. Visit jazzradio.com to check it out. Thanks also to the New Jersey Performing Arts Center in Newark, New Jersey. On the calendar for them in November, a performance by Chaka Khan. It's taking place November 14th. For tickets and more info, visit njpac.org. That's njpac.org. Another big thanks to the Angel City Jazz Fest, taking place October 2nd through the 13th in Los Angeles. Dwight Tribble, David Binney, Micaiah McRaven, they're all on the program for this fest, so you know it's going to be a great one. Check them out at angelcityjazz.com. A big thanks also to Jazz at Lincoln Center, New York's leading jazz venue, coming up for them on September 27th ogress a new musical journey created by vocalist cecile mclaurin salvant the show is a delightfully audacious audition to salvant's increasingly eclectic body of work joining salvant to bring this dark and romantic fairy tale like story to life is a 13-piece chamber ensemble led by darcy james argue with the mevo string quartet for tickets and more info visit jazz.org Thanks also to Quest TV, the world's first subscription video on demand platform dedicated to jazz. It's an online library of jazz concert videos and feature documentaries that has been called the Netflix of jazz. It was started in part by Quincy Jones and has both free and premium memberships. Visit Quest.tv to learn more. That's Q-W-E-S-T to learn more. Lastly, we'd like to thank the U.S. Navy Band Commodores Jazz Ensemble, currently celebrating their 50th anniversary. They've got concert dates around the country. If you want to catch them in action, visit our website and click the Navy Band Commodores banner. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review, too, because that really helps. And if you're a musician and you'd like to get your album into the hands of the Jazz's editors, be sure to use our Inside Track program. Just go to jazzes.com and click Submit Your Music. Oh, and don't forget to become a Jazz's subscriber. Right now, you can try three months of Jazz's, that's three months of digital access, plus one quarterly print issue for just 99 cents per month. Visit jazzes.com and click Subscribe. All right, that'll do it for this week's podcast. We'll see you next time.